0: Well, this morning I've got a question for you. Have you ever seen someone and you've thought, I wish I had a life like that? Maybe like you see the pictures that they post on on Facebook or Instagram and you see them out having fun or traveling the countryside and doing all these fun things. Maybe uh, it's a family that's playing pickleball together and they're not trying to kill each other with the rackets. And you're just like, I want that. I want that piece. Or, Or maybe it's someone that has a career. That they actually studied for? Because you studied for a career, but you weren't able to get a job in that field, and so you're looking at them like, ah oh, man, I wish I had that. Maybe you get a Christmas card in the mail, and you see this happy, smiling faces of a family, and you're like, the last time we tried to take a Christmas card, we almost had a double homicide. Like, it just was not good. And so you're like, I wish that I had that, I wish that I could experience that. Maybe it's a mindset, you just look at somebody and you see peace and joy and contentment and you just think, I wish I had that, I want that. Any, anybody done that before or is it just just me? Seriously, Okay. okay, thank you so much for the one finger wave. Thank you, thank you, I'm grateful for that. But the problem is, when you look at somebody where they are, you're just seeing their current chapter. You don't know their full story. You don't know their past. You don't know their struggles. You don't know and you haven't seen the chapter that's titled Private Sacrifices. Maybe you haven't seen or you don't know about the chapter that's called Heartbreaking Loss that they went through or Overcoming Insecurities or even Spiritual Doubts. See, all you see is their current chapter and where they are today. And so this morning, we're going to look at the last chapter of Ruth, and the principle that we're going to see this morning is the decisions that you make today will determine the story that you tell tomorrow. What you do, what you don't do, who you're with, who you're not with, the decisions that you make today actually determine the chapter that you are going to live out tomorrow. So this morning, if you're not happy with the chapter that you're in, maybe you just feel like... Is this ever going to end? God, where are you? Maybe it's a chapter with your marriage or relationships or school, whatever it is. If you're in a chapter that you're not happy with, then this message is for you. This message is called choosing your next chapter. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I pray that you would just open up our hearts to you. Help us to just be open to what it is you're calling us to do and the ways that you want to work inside each and every one of us, God. Pray that you would lead us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you haven't been able to join in with us on our series through the book of Ruth, I'm going to give you just a little bit of context to kind of catch you up with where we're at. We've got Ruth, a Moabite widow who left Moab and she turned to God, the one true God of Bethlehem. But she came to Bethlehem without much hope and no resources, nothing like that. And the thing about Ruth is we see she didn't do what most widows would have done at that time where they sold their body uh, to try and get provisions or they would sit on a street corner and beg for uh, people to just give to her. She went out and she worked in the field. She put in the hard work to do whatever it took to be provided for and, and, and cared for and to make sure that her needs were met. And she just so happened to be working in a field that belonged to Boaz. Now, Boaz, he was a man of standing, a man of character, and he met Ruth, and he kind of admired a couple things about her. It was admiring her character, her integrity, her work ethic, the fact that she was willing to go out and work. And they kind of had, you could say it was a group date, but it went pretty well where they kind of connected. But right after that, it was radio silence from Boaz. Guys, don't ever do that. If a first date goes good... Follow up, oh my goodness, don't do that. But maybe Boaz got insecure, maybe he got distracted, whatever it was, there was nothing. And so Ruth, with the encouragement of her mother-in-law, Naomi, she gave Boaz just a little bit of a hint, and we're talking a little bit of a hint, meaning she laid at the foot of his bed, uncovered his feet, and said, hey, remember me? Like, that's pretty much what it was, okay? Okay. She sort of proposed to him, and she's saying, would you be my kinsman redeemer, my guardian redeemer? Which, just a reminder, the kinsman redeemer, it's a family member who would protect or provide for a widow, someone that was in their extended family. Now, according to the law, there was a problem for Boaz, because Boaz, he wanted to be Ruth's kinsman redeemer, her guardian redeemer, but he discovered that there was another guy That was more closely related. So he had the right to do that. And that's where we left off last week. But even though he really wanted to do that for Ruth, he had a problem. And the thing is, he didn't know who this guy was. He didn't know where this guy was at or what this guy was doing. But he had to find this guy, and he had to work out a deal so that he could pursue Ruth, the woman who captured his heart. Come on, it's a Hallmark movie, guys. It's okay to go, oh, it's, it's okay. But to make this deal, Boaz, he needed three things. And, and it's the same three things that if you and I want to write a better chapter, it's the same three things that we need. We need providence, we need planning, and we need prayer. We need the providence of God. We need strategic plans, and we need spirit-filled prayers, which what is the providence of God? We've talked about it for the last couple of weeks. It's when God uses natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. See, in Ruth, in the book of Ruth, you don't see these supernatural miracles. You don't see raising of the dead or the burning bush or parting of the Red Sea. You don't see that. But throughout the whole thing, you see the providence of a good God bringing about his supernatural will. And we're going to see more of that right here at the start of chapter 4. But before I read that, I'm going to push this forward because I realized I'm standing right in front of it. I'm still learning, guys. You have to forgive me. That probably didn't help anything, but it works better for me. So Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer that he mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. So Boaz, he has a problem. He needs to find this guy. So he goes to the town gate and he sits down. And the town gate, it was essentially the place where business was done, where you would go to close on land, do business transactions. It was essentially like a city council uh, or a courthouse kind of thing. But what are the next two words right after it says he sat down? Just then, which we've heard that a few times in the book of Ruth, just then, it just so happened that right when Boaz got there, the family redeemer, the one guy that he needed to meet, showed up through the providence of God. And Boaz calls out to him. He's like, hey, bro, I've got a deal for you, so sit down, friend. We're going to talk through this. And the word friend, it's a very generous translation here. Uh, of the real words in the Hebrew. Now, I'm going to try and pronounce this. And so if you know Hebrew, don't critique me. If you don't, then it won't make a difference to you. But the words is palmoni, almoni. So Boaz calls out, hey, palmoni, almoni, which sounds kind of fun. But this was actually only used two times in the Bible. And it essentially means a muted name. In other words, hey, Mr. No Name. And Boaz didn't do that because he forgot someone's name and went like, hey, sport, like you know that type of thing. It wasn't that, but we'll see why the author of the book of Ruth, who is Samuel, doesn't include the guy's name in just a little bit. We'll get to it. But when did that guy show up? Just then, right at the perfect time. Was this coincidence? Like, did Boaz just get really, really lucky or was this the providence of God at work? See, Mr. No Name just so happened to show up at the exact right time under the right circumstances. So what do you need for a better chapter? You need the providence of God. See, in, in Hebrew, the providence of God is, is written like this, and I am not at all gonna try and pronounce that, so don't judge me on that, but it, it, it sounds like, has gotcha pratis. You could be like, has gotcha, like, if you really want to do that. But this means divine providence. And the cool thing about the Hebrew language, um, we're used to reading things from left to right. But in Hebrew, you actually read it from right to left. You read it from right to left. So we're looking at it and actually reading it kind of, in our context, it's backwards. That's how we have to write it. Which If you wanna see the providence of God in your life, it's best when you read it like Hebrew and you look at your life and read backwards. When you look where you are now and you look backwards to see how God used natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. Let me give you an example of reading backwards the providence of God to bring about his will in my life. So we've got my senior year of high school, I'm captain of the soccer team, and I'm wanting to go into the military. That had been my plan since I was like four years old. And it just so happened that I visited a school, and I was offered a soccer scholarship, but it wasn't enough for me to go there. And they didn't really have an easy track for the military. So I applied to another school that had an ROTC program and a soccer team, and even though I didn't make the soccer team, my love for soccer was still what God used to draw me to that school. And it just so happened that that summer, a group from that school in Ohio that I applied to sent a group to come to our church in Colorado, what are the chances of that, right, where a guy on the team was going to be an RA in the dorm there, and he pulled a couple strings to get me in his section. And he was able to kind of get me in a section where I happened to make some friends that weren't the best for me, and I started making some really unwise choices which led me to lose any discipline that I have, if you can have any discipline as a 19-year-old guy. But it doesn't really bode well when you're trying to go into the military, which led me to begin to question if the military was really right for me. And when I lost discipline and I stopped caring, I didn't even think to look into what needed to happen for the military to pay for my schooling. And so I found out at the end of that that my entire first year about thirty thousand dollars was not going to be paid by the military which led me to really sit back and stop and think is this what i want to do and where i want to go and while i was thinking that it just so happened that my dad sent me a message saying hey do you want to go on a mission trip to canada with us this summer and so i end up going to canada that summer questioning my future and what I want to do, but also swearing off girls, at least for the mission trip, because I wanted to go and focus on God. But it just so happened that a really cute girl from a different church was already in Canada, but she had sworn off guys too for the trip, and she wanted to focus on God as well. So we ended up serving God on the trip without losing much focus, you know, a couple of glances. I actually like switched our cups around so that way we could sit in close proximity to each other. Mm -hmm. That's a good move, yeah. But it turned out that we saw in each other the very thing that we didn't find in previous relationships. And that was a heart to focus on God. And so the entire 24-hour bus ride home, we sat next to each other and talked to each other nonstop. And when we got home, she had about a 10-day gap before going on another mission trip with her Bible school. But in that 10 days, she was able to tell me all about this Bible school that she was going on a mission trip with. But God knew at the time, I didn't need school details that she was giving me. I needed a school to go to that was cheaper, and I needed a cute girl to get me there. God knew that. And it just so happened that while she was in Europe on her next mission trip, the school accepted my application, even though it was the end of July. And I ended up joining Sherea, that cute girl I connected with in Canada, at Frontier School of the Bible in August of 2011. It's crazy, but skipping forward a few crazy God-filled years, it just so happened that we would find out on Facebook about a church in Kansas needing a youth and worship pastor. And we decided to go, even though I was stuck in turmoil from a porn addiction. And after being at that church for a year and a half, I just so happened to call my brother and spill everything to him. And it turned out that that day that I just so happened to call him, he found out about a conference that was four guys going through porn addictions, and it just so happened to work out that our schedules matched up and he could go to the conference with me, and so we go to this conference, and after the conference, the church in Kansas, they asked us to resign, which seemed unfair at the time, but it's all the providence of God because... It just so happened my dad was a pastor in Mitchell, Nebraska, and we were able to find a house in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, and we were going to take a break from ministry and kind of work on our marriage for a little bit. So about a year and a half later, we started helping with the youth group at that church, and it just so happened to be under a youth pastor by the name of Barry Holbrook. And we just so happened to be helping at that youth group when Barry and Tanya stood up and said, hey we're actually gonna resign and we're gonna move to Maranatha Bible Camp and go work there. Which Shreya and I were like, okay, so maybe this is where we have it. But it turned out the church was already looking at somebody else to fill that position. So it led us to look into different places to maybe fill another type of role. But we were still helping with the youth group throughout the summer after Barry had left. So we needed to take the students to summer camp, Can you guess what summer camp just so happened to go to? Maranatha Bible Camp. And do you know who just so happened to, at the time, live about 10 miles away from Maranatha Bible Camp? The lead pastor of the Crossing Fellowship, Eric Most, who just so happened to come to camp one day and meet us and connect with us and told us all about the Crossing Fellowship and said, hey, we need a youth and worship pastor. And we said no. We're like, yeah, no, this is not the place for us. The way that Eric described it, we were just like, eh, I don't know about this. This isn't gonna work. But we just so happened to set up a day anyways to guest lead worship. Man, and we just so happened to show up in Gothenburg, Nebraska, at the senior center to lead worship and to walk into a room full of people that had a heart to see other people meet, follow, and love Jesus. And we just so happened to fall in love with the Crossing Fellowship and realized this is exactly where God was calling us. And so in August of 2017, we moved to Gothenburg, Nebraska, and I look at where I'm at today and I thank God that all the way back in high school, the scholarship that I was offered wasn't enough for me to go there, and it didn't work out for the military to pay for my schooling because that's what led me here, the providential Will of God. There is so much more from that story that I left out. I didn't even talk about the last six and a half years. Okay, there's a lot. It's a lot, but we're talking about the Book of Ruth today. So we're gonna tra- uh, kind of move along here. But if you look at Ruth, we see in chapter four she gets blessed. She gets extremely blessed with what comes to her. But this isn't like her previous chapters. See, if you were to look at the Book of Ruth and 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 maybe name them as if they were chapters, one might be suddenly and tragically widowed. Another might be, you know, the faith to leave Moab. And the other one might be broke and broken in Bethlehem. But you see these chapters in Ruth's life where things aren't really going so well and it's really tough and it's really hard. And if you find yourself hoping for a better chapter this morning, then you might wanna look for the providence of God in your life. Because here's the thing, You're not in your final chapter. You are not in your final chapter right now. God is still writing your story. God is still at work. So the first thing that you need for a better chapter is the providence of God. The second thing that you'll need is strategic plans. See, planning is spiritual. My wife actually paid me to say that because she's a planner, but... I'm kidding. She didn't. You think my wife would pay me? No. But she's, she's a scheduler, and, and planning is spiritual. And so let's look at what Boaz actually did to kind of plan this out. See, he's not a pastor. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's a business leader, and he's going there to do a business deal. And God was all over this deal. So he goes to the city gate with this plan, and he calls together 10 other people, 10 other officials To be witnesses, and he's like, hey, Mr. No-Name, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. That's what he says. Thank you. I'm glad at least somebody got it. But he's like, hey, you remember Elimelech? You you know Naomi who came back from from Moab? Well, she's selling the land that belonged to a relative, Elimelech. You remember Naomi, the one who's widowed? So if you want the land, this is what you need to do saying, "I I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of all of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. And so Mr. No Name replied and said, all right, I'll redeem it. He said, I'll take it. And Boaz goes, oh yeah, just one more thing. Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way, she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. In other words, you need to marry the foreigner, raise babies, and buy the land, and then give it back to them. And Mr. No Name is all like, hang on a minute. One second. You mean to say that the deal comes with a couple of widows, a Moabite woman and her grumpy mother-in-law? And I got to provide for both of them? I got to buy the land, give it back to him? And I got to raise kids? What kind of a deal is that for me? And that's what he says. He says, I can't redeem it. I can't do it. Because this might endanger my own estate. So you redeem the land. I can't do it. You take it, I can't do it. See, he thought the title of this chapter was a bad investment. But the author of Ruth looks at this and says, I'm not even going to dignify that selfish guy who was more concerned with his money than any type of ministry. Thus, we get the name Mr. No Name. That's why his name's not even in there. But Boaz, he's working his plan. And you can see throughout the book of Ruth, you see that most people didn't actually have a plan. You remember back in chapter one, you remember Elimelech, whose name meant, my God is king? Yeah, he had no plan in Moab other than, well, I hope it works better. He ended up leaving his his wife high and dry and just kind of leaving her out there. You remember Malon and Kilion, sick and tired, that was their names? They didn't have a plan. Mr. No-Name, he didn't have a plan beyond that day. There was no plan there, but one of the best things that you can do is actually make A plan, it says in Proverbs, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. One of the most spiritual things that you can do is make a plan and put in the hard work to bring it to fruition. So this morning, what's your plan? If you want a better chapter in your life, what's your plan to make it happen? Maybe, Maybe your marriage is struggling right now. And instead of complaining about it to friends, what's your plan to make it better? Could it be join a life group and and allow other couples to kind of speak the truth of God into your life? Maybe. Maybe your plan needs to be, we need counseling. We need to let a professional speak the truth of God into our lives and into our marriage. Financially, what's your plan? A lot of people, their plan is spend more than you make. Not a very good plan. But make a plan to maybe tackle the debt that you've incurred all over throughout your life. Maybe it's the snowball effect. What's your health plan? Is it eat, sleep, rinse, and repeat? Or if you want to honor God with your health and with your body, then you need to make a plan on how you can live And develop a health plan. It's what I eat, when I eat, when I work out, what I'm going to do when I work out, what supplements do I need to take, what things do I need to do. You make a plan. Maybe for you, you need to make a plan with your friends. Because your friends will determine the quality and the direction of your life. So you might need to make a plan to change some of your friends. The decisions that you make today determine the story that you will tell tomorrow. The decisions you make today, they're writing the chapter that you're going to live tomorrow. So make a plan. Make a good plan. And we see Boaz, he makes his plan and he buys the land and he redeems and becomes the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. He says, and with this land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Mahlon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown, for you are all witnesses today. And what's Boaz doing here? He's declaring that his chapter and her chapter are coming together to see God's chapter and what God is doing in their life. Through the providence of God, through strategic planning, and what we're going to see in just a second... Through a powerful prayer, God is working to do something so much greater than we can even imagine. For a better chapter, you need the providence of God. You need some strategic plans, and you'll want to be praying some faith-filled prayers. See, as we've gone through the book of Ruth, I wonder if you've noticed kind of reading through, there's prayer spread throughout the entire book. They're just like little short one sentence prayers with, that's awesome because that's a way and a time and a reminder to connect back to God. But just look at some of these prayers that are in the book of Ruth. Naomi says, may the Lord give you a husband. May the Lord deal with me if I leave. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord repay and bless you. And then there's more of them that are down there, but I didn't want to fit them all on one side because that's a lot of text. So if you follow along with us on the U version app, you kind of get like the bonus features. That's the rest of the prayers that are in there on the U version app. But we see prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer, and then the elders, they pray this generous prayer over Boaz and Ruth, The elders and all the people standing at the gate replied, We are all witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. May the Lord make this woman, Ruth, the Moabite widow, the foreigner who used to worship the false god Chemosh, who chose to turn her back and turn towards the true God of Israel. May you make her like the women that this nation descended from. And may she be prosperous and famous in Bethlehem. And I don't know about you, but I know somebody pretty famous who came from Bethlehem. His name was Jesus, and he is all over the story of Ruth. See, like I said, the providence of God is like reading Hebrew. It's it's best seen when you read it backwards. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the story of Jesus, but backwards. See, God, he so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, it doesn't matter their sin, doesn't matter their past, doesn't matter their presence, doesn't matter what they've got going on in their life. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He was slain for the forgiveness of sins. He died and was buried, but he rose again on the third day, proving that he was who he claimed to be, the son of God. And anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. But reading backwards, before he died, before he rose again, he prayed And on that cross, he prayed and said, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. But before he died and rose again and before he prayed, Jesus was fulfilling God's strategic plan. It says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And reading backwards, we know that Jesus, he was born without sin. Well, how in the world did that happen? Well, it says in Matthew 1.16, he was born from the virgin Mary. And she will give birth to a son named him Jesus, who's called the Messiah. And where did that come from? Well, Mary was engaged to Joseph. Whose father was Jacob. And when you start looking back through here, you see Jacob, who came from Mothan, who came from Eleazar, who came from Eliad and Achim and Zadok and Jehoiakim and Shealtiel and Zerubbabel and Abiad and Elochim and Azor and Josiah and Amon and Manasseh and Hezekiah and Ahaz and Jotham and Rehoboam and Abijah and Asa and Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Uzziah and Solomon and David, who we all know so much about, all the way from Jesse, whose father was Obed who came from Ruth the Moabite woman and Boaz. See, when you see the lineage of Jesus and you see just what we've looked at in the first four chapters of Ruth about all of the things that happened over here with Ruth and Boaz and the providence of God and how God has been at work in every single little detail. And then you look And you count over 20 names, that's a lot of providence. That's a lot of what God was doing. If God was working that much in the detail of this one woman, and He was working that much in the detail of this one man, and this one man, and all of these people until it came. To Jesus, and you realize the providence of God and how it is at work in every single one of our lives. The amazing providence of our God, a good and gracious and loving God, is always at work in every single one of our lives. But are you opening your eyes to see it? See, when we look backwards, we see the providential will, the power, and the plan of a good God who knew what was going to happen here all the way back here and was working his plan for good. See, God is working in the good chapters. He's working in the dark moments, in the the dark chapters, the hard chapters. In every single moment, God is at work in your life pointing towards the grace and glory and goodness of his son, Jesus Christ. So no matter what chapter you're in, God is in it with you. He's right there with you. He's working. We just need to open our eyes to see how he's at work. So if you think about your next chapter, what do you need? You need the providential power of God, which is best seen when you look at it backwards and you look at your life backwards. See, I used to say I would never be a pastor and I would never live in Nebraska. It's really what I said. And God somehow used my love for soccer and my dream to be in the military to make me a pastor in the very center of Nebraska. There is literally no other reason for me to be here apart from the providence of God. What's he doing in your life? How is he working in your life? What has he done to get you to where you are today? You need strategic planning, good planning and hard work. It leads to blessing and prosperity, not necessarily financial prosperity, but a prosperous life in God. So you need a plan where you're seeking his plan and a life of dependence on God with faith-filled prayer saying, God, I need you. God, I'm trusting in you. God, I have no idea what's going on, but I know that you have a good and perfect will and a good and perfect plan, and I'm relying on you. I am clinging to you, and I am letting you lead me through this, having faith-filled prayers to seek God's plan. So what do we do with all this? Because there's no good of listening to a sermon if we don't apply anything to our life or do anything. So here's a couple things that I would like for all of us to do this week. First, look at the providence of God in your life. This is fun. When I sat down and I wrote the story uh, of all the things God had been doing in my life and, and what led me from my senior year of high school all the way to here, after I wrote it, I went upstairs and I showed Sharia, and I was, like, I was like a middle school girl. Like I was all giddy who just saw Taylor Swift. Like literally, that's what I was. I was like, do you see this? God did, like, look at all the awesome things, and it it got me excited because there were chapters that I walked through that at the time I didn't see God, and I was like, God, what in the world are you doing? Where in the world are you? But when we look back, we can see the providence of an amazing and good and gracious God who is always at work. So do this this week. What has God done How has God worked to get you to where you are today? And have some fun with it, because it's pretty fun and pretty awesome when you see the ways that God has been working. Next, what's your plan? What do you want your next chapter to be? What do you want tomorrow to be? What do you want next week to be, or next month, or next year to be? Figure out your plan. Set a plan and begin to put in the hard work to get there. Because without a plan, we end up just being in the same cycle of, oh, I can't wait for this to happen. I want for this to happen. I wish for this to happen. And and we don't do anything to make it happen. God has given us will and strength to seek after him, but to also put in the work. So make a plan and go for it. But don't do it alone. We need to do it through prayer. Prayer. Declare dependence upon God and pray faith-filled prayers to say, God, show me what you want my next chapter to be. Help me to get put together these godly plans so that way I can begin to work to what it is that you are calling me to do. Pray faith-filled, godly prayers for your next chapter. And maybe you're here today and you're not walking with God. You haven't put your faith and trust in him as your savior Maybe you're questioning him. Maybe you're doubting him. But here's what I want you to know. You're not here by accident. You are not here by accident. It's not just chance that you walked through the doors of the Crossing Fellowship this morning. It's not just a coincidence that you just so happened to be here on this Sunday. See, this can be one of those things that just so happen to take place that leads you into a renewed, redeemed, and brand new life in Christ. See, God has a plan for you, and his plan is for you to know him and for him to know you. He desires a life of peace and joy and love for you, but none of us deserve it. We hear that in Ephesians 2.8.9 where it says we're saved by grace through faith, not by any works that we have done but we're saved by the grace of God. And that's why Jesus, he paid the price on our behalf because we couldn't earn it. He shed his blood as the payment for our sins because our sins separate us from God. And so he gave his life as a ransom for us. He rose again proving that everything he said, everything he promised, everything he declared was trustworthy and true, and that God, his Father, has the power over hell and death. So when he offers us life, he proved that he's the only one who can give it. So maybe you're here, and you're just saying, I don't don't know if I trust this Jesus. I don't know if I believe in this Jesus. Nah, that's not really stuff for me. Nah, that's, that's not really it. Jesus Christ shed his blood out of love for you. Jesus Christ was beaten. He was whipped. He was mocked. He was bruised. He was stripped. A crown of thorns was placed and forced upon his head just to mock him because he loved you so much. He hung on a cross, suffocating for you, to show you, to, to say, I love you this much, that I am willing to die for you to have life. And so if that's you this morning, I, w- I would invite you to please pray with me. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner, and there is nothing that I can do to make up for my sin, to make up for the bad things that I've done, the the things that I've thought, the things that I've said. And those sins, they separate me from a holy God. But Jesus Christ became my savior. Paying the price for my sin, he died and rose again. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross, knowing that it was enough to pay for me. Maybe you're here this morning. You believe in Jesus. You put your faith and trust in him, but he's not your Lord. You're choosing to live your life and do whatever is right in your own eyes. I challenge you this morning to open up your hearts to the God who offered his only son for you. He didn't die on the cross for us to suffer through this life. He died on the cross for us to have an abundant and joy-filled life. He doesn't want you to continue to struggle through your sin and to hide your addictions and to hide all of these things that are going on in your life. He died so that way you could live freely, So if that's you this morning, I ask that you would surrender your heart to God, that you would trust God to help you write the next chapter of your life, to stop doing it in your own strength, to open up your heart to God this morning. So God, I just pray for whoever who is here, whoever's watching online, God, that you would open up our hearts to you, that we would surrender to you. God, you are so great. We think of your providence and how you work, and there is no other explanation other than you are so powerful. So God, work your power in us. Work your power in our hearts. Soften our hearts to you, God, to make us represent you well here on this earth until you call us home. God, we just thank you so much for sending your son to be that sacrificial lamb, to pay what we could not so that we could be made right with you. Just thank you so much for loving us. And I pray, God, that you would lead us to what it is you want us to do and give us the strength to do it. Not just hear it, but do it. Just thank you for loving us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Crossing. If you made a decision this morning to to put your faith and trust in Jesus, to declare that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, don't leave here without telling somebody. Come and talk to me, talk to someone on our leadership team, talk to guest services, whoever it is. Don't leave here on your own. Let us celebrate with you. And Crossing, if you do have that faith and trust in Jesus, but you're wrestling with making him your Lord, it's time. It's time to open up our hearts to him and to let him lead us, guide us, and be the Lord of our life.